Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Happy that you would spend some time with us this August. I cannot believe it's already mid-August. A little scary. Um, We are going to be talking about the Common and Coalition apps because it is mid-August and those applications are live and available and we want to walk through them with you. Um, But before we do that, we're going to get to credit reports. And joining me for this conversation is my colleague, Beth Beinberg-Keenan, who's also a former financial aid officer at Northeastern University. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Thanks for joining today. Okay, credit reports. What is, before we dive into this, and I think that our listeners know this, but I always think it's valuable to kind of start with the basics because why not? What is a credit report? So very basic uh, credit report is a statement that stores information on your credit activity. Um, It looks at stores information on your current credit activity, uh, your past credit activity in terms of open accounts, closed accounts. It has information on uh, mortgages, car loans, credit cards, uh, student loans. Uh, So for those of you uh, who have had student loans or taking out student loans, uh, you're going to see that information there. Uh, It's important to know that it stores information on your account balances, uh, credit limit, payment history. So there's so much information that you can see there. But it's also demographic information. Uh, Your name is on there. Your address is on there. When I think about a credit report, I really consider this to be like your financial footprint. Mm -hmm. So if somebody were to say like, you know, you know, you have so many different footprints out there in terms of technology, this is what is like financially, this talks about like your entire history. Like as early as you opened up your first credit card, or maybe like you were put on as like a co-signer in somebody's, you know, credit card, you know, going off to college. Yep. Well, okay. So it does feel, I I understand why a credit report is important. I mean, what's more important than your financial footprint? Why is it important, important as it relates to college? Since that is why we're always here, what we're always talking about on the show. So lenders really use this as a tool to determine credit worthiness. So because it's your financial footprint, uh, they're looking at, are they going to loan you money? Um, Are they going to loan you as much money as you asked for? And then also, are they going to loan, what is the interest rate? Uh, What are the fees that they're going to charge you? So when they're they're looking at your credit report, uh, determine that. But I want to take a little step forward, you know, beyond student loans, because for college students, uh, they're going to look at it for for apartments. So if you're looking to rent an apartment, many of landlords are going to ask for your credit history. Um, and maybe they're going to ask for the credit history of a parent, somebody who's going to need to co-sign on that apartment with you and other roommates. And then when you graduate college, some employers are going to ask for your for your credit yeah. report. So when I remember when I was back at Northeastern, I used to stress this all the time, especially for like business school students, like students who are business majors and say like, hey, if you're looking to go into the financial industry, like you really need to think about like how much you're borrowing, because that's going to show up on your credit report. And if you have too much debt, a potential employer may say, hey, we're not going to hire you because you could be 
you know, liability for, for that, uh, for that employer. Right. The one place that might be a positive is sales, right? Because <laughs> nobody loves a salesperson more who really needs to earn money. But uh, I do want to be clear, I am not advocating borrowing so much money that you leads to an adverse credit report. I'm just saying that that is a, a silver lining to a not particularly good situation. But um, I, really good points. I, I, I was thinking about it from the perspective of how much money you might be able to borrow, but I hadn't really thought about it from the student perspective in terms of the impact it could have on you um, just when you want to, when you're graduating and you're out there looking for a job. So that's, that's actually kind of a more hidden impact of having a not particularly good credit report. So interesting. Um, so all of this said, where do you get a copy of your credit report? Since probably those listening now are thinking, huh, I wonder what's on mine if they haven't seen one recently. So there's a number of different places you can get a copy of your credit report. Uh, there's three major credit uh, agencies, credit bureaus. So there's Experian, there's TransUnion, and there's Equifax. So you can log into their website. You can request a copy of your credit report. You can also go to a website, annualcreditreport.com, and you can request a copy, a free copy of your credit report there too. Um, you can do that right now because of COVID. Yeah. You can actually do it weekly <laughs> until the wow. end of the year. I know. I was like, I just looked that up a couple of times. I was like, really? Weekly? But due to COVID, yes. It was supposed to expire in April, and now it's set to expire at the end of December. So if you're really um, somebody who wants to take some time and really explore your credit and you know, really get to dig into it a little bit deeper, this is the time to do it. <laughs> and yeah, it sounds like it. it. Frequently. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Um, and then in terms of um, those are some great ones. So in your opinion, should you ever pay for your credit report? Is that or is it something where you should be able to get it for free? You should be able to get it for free, so you shouldn't ever pay for your credit report. Um, you're able to request a free copy of your credit report from each of the credit bureaus once a year. Mm -hmm. So I guess it really just depends on how frequently you want to pull your credit report. But if you're saying like, hey, every four months is good, I don't need to pull it every week. I'm not sure why somebody would necessarily pull it every week right now. Nice. but. If you decided to say, hey, I want to pull it like every you know four months, you know, you could just kind of rotate through and you know, do Experian and Equifax and TransUnion. But know that they are three different entities. Um, you might see different information on the different credit reports. So different companies might report into different credit bureaus, different credit agencies. So that's fine. Um, I wouldn't be alarmed that you don't that you see something different on like Equifax that you don't see on Experian and vice versa. TransUnion, different companies, when they're pulling your credit, they're going to maybe say, hey, this one only uses TransUnion. So they're not going to pull your credit for all three different agencies. When you're trying to get a loan or trying to get an apartment, they're going to go to one agency. Got it. Okay. Interestingly, I have a credit card um, that I actually don't really use anymore, but that keeps me updated really, I think kind of once a week. So if my credit score changes for any reason, it lets me know about that. That's kind of a cool thing. Like I said, I don't really use the credit card anymore, but I kind of, I do like that little piece. So it alerts me if there has been an issue with my credit. I so. get the same thing too with one of my credit cards. Um, but I thought that was interesting too, that, you know, you made a great point, Beth, that, you know, you're, you have your credit score mm -hmm. and your credit report. And that's, you know, one thing that some of the credit card companies are keeping track of it. If your score changes with even like a few points, they'll say like, Hey, like, you know, Beth, like your credit score has changed. And you log on and be like, 
Has it changed drastically? Has it just changed a few points? And if it's just changed a few points, you're like, yeah, who knows what happened this month that, you know, right. it's a few point different. Yeah, exactly. But if it changes <laughs> drastically, that's when you know, uh-oh, right. something may have gone wrong, especially exactly. if you didn't take out a big loan that month or so far as you know, your credit was the same as it should have been in the previous month. If it drops drastically, um, there's probably something going on that you want to investigate, right? Exactly. And that's, you know, a great reason and a little trigger, you know, a good trigger to say, hey, I really need to pull my credit reports and figure out like why, you know, what is happening? What is on my credit report that caused this drastic change in my, my credit score? Right. And actually, um, that, that does lead me to the question, is there a difference between the report and the score? Uh, there is a difference between the report and the score. The report is exactly that. It's the report. It's the information that is housed on that document. The score is a calculation that is done based on the information that is on that document. So they take into consideration like how long you've had credit for, how much you have an outstanding debt, uh, your timeliness of paying back uh, your your, your liabilities. Mm-hmm. It also looks at your length of your credit history. So Beth, you mentioned that you have a credit card that you Maybe it was the first credit card that you opened, but you don't really use it anymore. Mm-hmm. But that shows your credit longevity that you have and that you've established. And then they look at credit mix. I mean, credit cards, student loans, um, mortgages, car loans. And so they look at the mix of credit that you have that all factors into that credit score. Your credit score, the range for credit score. So if this is you're thinking like, hey, like, what does my credit score even mean? Right. The range is your lowest, you know, the 300s, that's your lowest. And your high is upwards of 850. So if you know if you have you know an 800 plus, I mean then you know, you really have nothing to worry about. Even like a 750 plus, you probably have nothing to worry about. Right, right. And I mean, I, I know that um, there was this is going back many years. I went in to get a car, and I got the best possible. The the dealership was offering a special zero percent. Believe it or not, I can almost not believe it myself, and I took advantage of it. <laughs> But you did have to have a certain credit score in order to get that 0% rate. Um, So another reason to all those future college students out there listening right now as to why it's important to keep that credit score where it is, because someday you might be trying to buy a car from a dealership and using their financing, and they might have a great deal that you can only access if your credit score is in a good place. So Right. And then that also, I think, goes to, Beth, you know, in terms of like pulling your credit, you know, if you are looking to buy a car mm-hmm. um, or buy an apartment, buy, you know, buy a house, that's, an op- that's a reason that you may want to start pulling your credit report more often because you really are interested in what's on that report. And then looking, you know, if you have a credit card company that offers you a credit score, you right. know, making sure you, you're aware what that credit score is because that can impact, you know, as you mentioned, the, the, the interest rate that you're going to potentially get and any fees that you might be charged on that, on that loan. Right. And just so that we're crystal clear, because I think we touched on it, but then went on to something else. What's your recommendation for how how often you want to pull your credit report? I think a good rule of thumb is is, is once a year. I think that's good. I think you're fine, you know, if you're doing it once a year. But if you are looking to make a major purchase, then I think that is a reason that you may decide to pull that you may decide to pull more often. Mm -hmm. And another reason is if you've been a victim of identity theft. Uh, it's yeah. another reason also to pull it more often because you want to make sure that the information that is on your credit report is actually your information because somebody has stolen your identity. So there's a possibility that there could be false uh, information on your credit report that could impact other decisions and other things that goals that you have, financial goals that you have 
um, in the near future. Right, right. That's which is obviously incredibly scary if that happens. Um, are there kind of common errors that maybe are on credit reports that have nothing to do with someone stealing your identity, but just mistakes that can end up on there? Uh, there's definitely mistakes that you, that you can find on your credit report. Um, if you're a junior, um, your information might be of a parent and vice versa. It could have child's information because it is similar names. Mm. They could have wrong addresses because if you're moving around a lot, if you're somebody who is recently divorced or even not recently divorced, uh, you could have a situation where you have your ex's information on your credit report still, and that could be detrimental. Could be detrimental to you, uh, depending on how that individual's credit is. Right. Other things, uh, closed accounts and, and open accounts. You might see a closed an account saying showing closed, but it's really open, and vice versa, an open account that's actually really closed. Uh, outstanding balances. If that's the case, if you're finding you know, some of this information that isn't accurate, you know, reaching out to the original creditor. So if it's like a credit card company that the balance isn't matching up, that is thousands of dollars off. Not that, hey, I just made a payment and you right. know, the payment it's off by the payment is off by maybe one or two payments because they're not necessarily being updated on a daily basis. So there could be a timing issue. But if it's thousands of dollars off, then you definitely want to reach out to that agency um, the lender and try to make sure that the what information they have jives with the information that you think that you that true, and mm-hmm. then you can also send a letter or go online to dispute information that's on your credit report. Got it. And and to your point, you're going to dispute that with the creditor who's providing the information rather than with say Equifax or one of the people, one of those um, organizations. Correct. Uh, it depends. I mean, if your information jives with what the, we'll say the credit card company has, mm-hmm. and you think that's right, but then the credit, the credit, um, like Equifax has a different information, you're going to dispute it with Equifax. Got it. Okay. So you're going to send that supporting documentation that you have from your credit card company and say, hey, okay. this is what the credit card company has. This is what I'm under this under this assumption of too. I'm disputing this. This is that this information isn't up to date. Okay, got it. All right, that's really helpful. Last question I have for you um, is, you know, when you access your credit report, is it safe to give to give your social security number? I mean, I think we're all a little leery of providing that um, when we don't necessarily have to. Uh, and, it, you know, is there any other information that you would need in order to access your card, your report? It is safe. Um, if you're going to access your credit report on annualcreditreport.com, uh, you need to actually provide your social security number. Okay. Um, if you're not comfortable doing that, I mean, like I realize, like everyone is not comfortable providing their social security number. You know, there are other ways that they can do it. They can request it uh, be over the phone. They can request it in writing, mm-hmm. but then they just have to think about like, like how fast do they need that? Credit, how fast do they need that information? Because if they're doing it online and they're able to provide their social security number, they're going to get that instantaneously. Yeah. But if they're not comfortable and they're going to do it either over the phone or, or via mail, it's going to take up to 15 days for them to get that copy of that credit report. Okay. But you asked also what other information uh, they have to have their name. They need to have their date of birth. They need to have their address for the previous two years um, when they're requesting their credit report. So there's other identifying information that they do need to have and can use to pull their, get a copy of their credit report. Awesome. Okay. Um, 
Any last pieces of advice? I, I know we talked a little bit about college students and impact on their lives. I think for many of our listeners who are parents, they may be thinking about this in terms of their intention to borrow for, to help pay for their students' college. Any final advice for them on this piece of things and a timeline on when you might encourage them to be up to date on their credit score and their credit report? Uh, so parents, I mean, right now, as you know, Becky mentioned, it's August. Yes. <laughs> so this is the perfect time to be up to date and looking at your credit if you're concerned about being able to co-sign on a loan for your student. But for parents, one of the uh, pieces of advice that I want to share with you is remember that if this is your first child after college and you plan to do and take out loans for other children, the money that you're borrowing for this child is going to show up in your credit report. It can impact your credit score and it mm-hmm. can impact you being able to take out other loans for other children or and or the interest rates and fees that you're going to get on loans in the future for other children in the future. Got it. Yeah, and that's really important to note, right? So you're making decisions today for child number one. If you have child number two, three, four, et cetera, the, understand the implications for them. So Beth, thank you so much for joining today. This was really helpful and uh, I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are talking all about the common and coalition applications and getting started with those. So don't go away. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Um, So for the next two segments, we're actually going to be talking about the coalition and the common applications um, because it's application season. And there is really nothing better to kick off application season with than a discussion about the applications themselves. Um, And joining me for this are two of my colleagues here at College Coach who 
are, um, I just happen to be looking at all of the names where you guys have worked, and I'm thinking, we're really representing the small liberal arts colleges here today. <laughs> yes. um, so I have Jay Bonham, who's a former AO at Hamilton and Kenyon Colleges, um, and Elise Krantz, who's a former AO admissions officer, for the, sorry for the lingo here, at Barnard and Bennington Colleges. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. It's great to be here. Awesome. All right. Why don't we kick off by talking about what we're talking about? So, Elise, what is the common application? So, I, it's funny. I run into so many people that aren't yet aware of this platform because if you, as a parent, applied to college however many years ago, you probably didn't use the Common App. Um, so, this is new for a lot of people. So, it is a universal online application that currently this year over 1000 colleges will accept so think of it sort of as like a generic form that contains basic information like your name and your high school and what classes you're taking the activities you're involved with it also includes an essay and this will be sent one by one it's there's a lot of control in the process to all of the colleges that are on your list um, and it's been around now for, I don't know, I think it's like 1975. And um, over the years, it's the, the members of the colleges that accept it has really grown. It started as a very small number of primarily elite private institutions. But over the years, the Common App has made it their mission to be much more inclusive and focusing on access. Um, and it's a mix now of public universities, private. There's international schools on there. There's even some two-year colleges. So it's a really nice mix of colleges that accept it. Yeah. And I would say just for the pers- from the perspective of the work that we're all doing, there is a big sort of we wait every year to hear who else has joined the Common App and cheer. Um, and I think the big one we cheered for this year was the University of Washington in Seattle because finally they have added the Common Application and we're all pretty excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Technically, it won't show up on their website, though, on the Common App website until September 1. So depending on when people are listening to this, if you're getting it early, you may not see it listed. Right, but it will be there. And the other big one this year was the University of Texas at Austin, another flagship. So the fact that so many of the the flagship public research universities are joining the the Common App, it just makes it that much easier for students to apply to college. So that's the whole point, which is a good thing. Exactly, exactly. So with that in mind, Jay, what about the coalition? What's that? Yeah, so the coalition application was started in actually 2015 as sort of a response to the Common Application. There was a group of schools that thought that maybe the Common App had gotten too big and maybe would not really fit the needs for their own their own um, interests and what they wanted from an application system. Also, in as you guys might remember, in 2013, the Common Application had some technical issues yeah. that made it difficult for some kids to apply and they had a lot of stress around the deadlines. So these schools got together and said, okay, maybe we can do something a little bit differently, maybe uh, serve as a little competition for the common application. Um, and so in 2015, the coalition was created of, of very much like-minded schools. These were schools that cared a lot about, um, they were committed to ensuring that students uh, from all different income levels were supported. They wanted to make sure that um, uh, that they would also graduate on time as well. So it was started in 2015. 
It started with about 83 members. It's now up to 150, 150 schools. Um, one of the things that made it a little bit unique from the beginning was that it was it was set up to help students earlier in the process to start thinking about it. So kids could go in even as early as ninth grade and sort of put things in what they call the locker. Uh, and but things have evolved. Things have evolved from there. We can certainly talk about some of the big changes that are on the horizon for the coalition. Yeah, and actually, why don't we start with that? What are some changes that have come about this year for the coalition? Yeah, so the biggest change is they've changed their application platform. Um, up until this year, the coalition, I mean, there was, you didn't really know the behind the scenes, but they had a different technology company. We just referred to it as the coalition application. Um, they have made the decision this year to sort of move to a different uh, platform. So they're using a program called SCORE. Uh, which is S-C-O-I-R. Um, SCORE is a um, system that is used by high schools to help sort of navigate the admission process. Um, some of the other programs out there that are like SCORE that some people might be familiar with would be like Naviance or Maya Learning. Uh, and SCORE is just another platform that high schools can use. And the coalition decided that, the co that SCORE already had sort of an application system in place and so, again, since the coalition is all about access and all about trying to simplify things, they made this decision to move to SCORE. So now, like, if you want to use the, I mean, that's a, technically, I guess, the coalition application, you're going to be going through the SCORE website, and you'll be creating an account through there. Um, if a student had already created an account with the coalition, like, last year, unfortunately, that information is no longer mean uh, no mm. longer really available so they're going to have to go into score create a new account um and and then work from that got it and of course the challenge there being that back when it was created the idea was oh come in and start it and all of your information will follow you and then not so much this year right. so right. i'm trying to keep my personal opinions about this out um, <laughs> there were two big defections from the coalition this year um, one was Stanford, which was one of the driving schools involved in the original creation, and the other, um, University of Washington. Um, well, the only thing, or, I, yeah. I mean, I think they've decided not to accept the application. I don't think they've right. left the coalition as an organization. Got it. Um, because even like this year, like I said, there's about 150 member schools of coalition. Right now, 104 of them would technically be accepting the score application. Uh, and so I think there's some schools are gonna wait and see um, because this is a big change. Uh, and so they're right. just gonna sort of stand on the sidelines that maybe next year go into it. True, that is true. That's not an angle that I had considered, but yes, it's a brand new application. We all know that when you do things in brand new way, that can lead to problems. And it could be that Stanford simply decided we don't need that right now. We're going to just put this on pause and just ask students to, to focus on the Common App this yes. year, and then maybe we'll return to that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Elise, what about the Common App? What, what new things? I may have spoiled things a little by sharing the big news about um, Washington and, and you shared UT Austin, but anything else you would point to that, that's big news or change this year? In, in previous years, there have been pretty revolutionary changes this year. Not so much. I think they, they see themselves as being 
a pretty well-oiled machine and they're just trying to make tweaks here and there to better serve the needs of students as well as counselors and teachers who are using the application. Um, so I went through, the application went live on August 1st, um, like the, the refreshed version of it. And I went through, there's not a whole lot. I mean, one of the ones that they touted this year um, is that the fee waiver process is easier for students, yes. which is great. Um, so in the past, when students got to the fee waiver question, which what that means is, because um, many colleges charge an application fee to use the common application when you're submitting it to their particular school. Um, but some of these fees can be upwards of $80, $90 per That's school. Expensive. It's, it's a lot. And so for students for whom um, that is a financial burden, there used to be um, a, a sort of a, do you qualify? And then there were sort of this sort of a convoluted list of here's the ways that you would qualify. You have to check which one is applicable to you, like whether it's your family income or whether you received a fee waiver for the SAT or ACT, something like that. Um, but this year it is, it's much simpler. It's simply a yes or a no. Do you think you qualify? And then if they say yes, an email would then be triggered to their school counselor just to confirm that fact that they believe the student qualifies and it's, it's a nice process. Um, yeah. And the other big change, which actually I didn't hear them mention when I sat in on the What's New Common App webinar that they did a few months ago that I look forward to every year. Um, so on college specific supplements, I don't wanna to get too much into the nitty gritty, but the Common App, think of it as sort of two pieces. There's the generic, every college gets the same seven pages of information, the personal stuff that I talked about earlier. Um, and then there's what they call the supplements. So when you're ready to apply to a specific college, you would then have to go to that college's supplement and they would ask specific questions, what, such as what major are you interested in? Are you planning on living on campus? Those sorts of things. Forgive my phone for ringing in the background. No problem. <laughs> Not muted. Um, but this year, there's a new question that they're asking, which is nice. Not all schools are doing it, but it's an option for the schools that want to. I'm just getting the right wording for it. Um, it's called context and background. So basically, they're giving students a chance to share a little bit more about themselves if they've had an unusual family circumstance, for example, if they're being raised um, by people other than their biological parents, um, or if they live in a home that doesn't have access to, to internet regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also gives students the chance to um, share details if they have a significant family responsibility. And they define that as being four hours or more per week. And that could be caring for elderly grandparents, caring for siblings, having to work, a, have a job to help pay for family mm -hmm. expenses. So that's like that's a new question that's um, that I've noticed is is a sort of a, a highlight, I guess, of the, the, the updated application. Got it. I like that. Um, I, I do want to take this opportunity to remind people, if you don't feel the question applies and it is not required, you do not need to answer it. So um, I know there are people out there who will say things like, if there's a space, you should be filling it. And I am here to tell you, and I think that Jay and Elise will back me up on this one. No, you don't. <laughs> if you don't have something specific that addresses something that they are asking you, then you can feel very comfortable to leave it blank. They are requiring what they need. And if they needed an answer to that, and they would require it. So it's really more of an opportunity if it applies to you. Exactly. Okay, cool. So, um, all right, so that's really helpful. Um, I am, sorry, I'm toggling back to my notes here. Um, 
I don't know why that's challenging today, but for whatever reason it is. Uh, I know. So in terms of colleges, there might be 104. So there are 104 colleges taking the coalition now. Um, and then some of those may also accept the Common App. They all uh, do. They all do. They all do. In reverse. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So here's the first question for you. Does a college prefer one over the other? Go ahead. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, basically, when a college subscribes to these application platforms, whether it's the, the coalition application or the common application or their own application, they're basically saying that we'll accept any of them as if it was their own, if it, excuse me, as if it was their own. So you should not feel any stress about using one over the other. You should use what, again, what works best for you. Yeah. Um, so no, the colleges are not going to have a preference. And, and part of the reason why they have these different options is to give kids that opportunity to, to select the one that's going to be best for them. Right. Right. And in fact, I, I'm not sure what the story is with the coalition, but I know with the Common App, you actually, when you agree to, uh, to be part of the Common right. App, right, you actually yeah. say you yeah. will not prefer any application mm-hmm. um, such as your own to the Common App and now um, the coalition. Um, Elise, in your opinion, any reason why a student might choose one over the other? I mean, to me, I mean, you're comparing 1,000 colleges that are accepted by Common App. Granted, you can only apply to 20 maximum. That I don't know if the coalition has a max, but I know the Common App has a max of 20 schools. Um, you know, if if the if the 20, hopefully you're not applying to 20. Yes, but please, no. So, <laughs> if the the 10 or so colleges you're applying to are all on the Common App. Um, and they're not all on the coalition, that's kind of a no-brainer. Go with the Common App. It's one application, less work for you. Um, and for students, I think, you know, whose schools aren't using SCORE or maybe whose whose counselors um, aren't familiar with the platform, they may have a little bit more of a support network to stick with the coalition because it is such a well-known entity and and it's been around for so long that... Common? You the common application, yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, the common application. Um, the for students that you know who have a back, you know, who's an older sibling maybe has used it, or you know, teachers have been using this for years, so it may be a little easier on that end just to stick with with that known entity. Got it, Jay. In your opinion, any would you agree? Anything else that you would add there, or no? I mean, I, I think I mean Elise is correct. I mean, I think if if all of your schools are on one of the platforms. Uh, you should use that one. I mean, especially like, I mean, I, I think there is a, there's a lot of transition going on with, with the coalition and, and score. And so I, I think uh, you may want to wait. I mean, I think for this application cycle that again, I think you go with the one that may be able to a- achieve all of your goals and that might be the common application. Yeah. I, I went through, if I could just add in real quickly, I went yeah. through and tried to complete a full coalition app before our call today. Um, and I got stuck on a few easy questions. Like it wouldn't let me progress after entering my phone number. Like there was something wrong and I was trying to not report a GPA because I thought it was optional and I kept asking for it. So Mm. I think there, you know, there's going to be hiccups this year because it's new technology. So I think if you're looking for potentially a, a more a slightly less stressful experience, um, one that will hopefully have fewer technological glitches. The Common App could 
I think be in your favor on that side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to say personally, I would go common app, but <laughs> I'm <laughs> just throwing out here. Come on. We're <laughs> I know, I know. No, but I, I mean, I think these are all good reasons why th- this year in particular, you might want to do common app, but Jay, you were going to potentially. Well, I was going to say the else. only thing is that, I mean, competition is good. I mean, for instance, mm-hmm. like what common app has done with the um, fee waivers that was started through the coalition application yeah. in which a much easier process. So uh, again, I mean, I think this year is a little unique because the coalition has decided to use a different platform. And I mean, again, there's no sort of coalition only school. So it, it may not make sense for a lot of kids, but I think moving forward, I think it still will be good having these different platforms. And especially for students who are coming from score from schools that already use score, that information is already going to be built into their their file. So right. when it gets to the point where they're applying, it, it might still be simpler for them to use that because it's already been entered in the same way that a student would go in and enter in the common application data. Right. I do think that's a really good distinction, right? So if you are and Elise, you mentioned this earlier around why you might use the Common App, but if you're at a school where they're using SCORE and that's the platform that the school counselor is most familiar with and comfortable with, um, you know, it could, to your point, it could become that it's more based on that than on anything. Um, and if you haven't talked to your school counselor, maybe they may have, I think right now the challenge is 104 schools to more than a thousand schools, right? And also the first year of something, um, which doesn't mean you shouldn't try it, but uh, first years of things tend to be bumpier and right. uh, nobody needs a bumpy, in, emissions is stressful and bumpy enough as it is. And sometimes, you know, in terms of eliminating as many of those bumps as you can, that might mean common app this year. But um, but your point's well taken, Jay. And, and, um, and you're right, competition is good and it has forced the common app to be better. And I think we all can get behind that piece of the coalition. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, why don't we get into actually completing the application? So um, there isn't any kind of a rollover process with the coalition because Jay, as you mentioned, right. it's brand new this year. Um, but there is with the common app and Elise, I was hoping you could talk us through that. Sure. So if students have already created their common app account prior to August 1st, the next time they log in, they will be presented with a series of questions just to confirm that the information is still accurate. It'll confirm that you're applying for college for a specific year. So if you are a rising senior, you would check the box says 2022 to 2023. It's like, it gives you those two years. Um, And then ask a few other questions like, is your high school name still correct that we have? Any colleges that you added to your college list on the Common App, it'll give you the option of keeping them in the application, or if you want to remove them, you could do that. Um, It's just a few questions. And then once you do that, you hit, okay, I did it. And then it shows you your new uh, application. Most of the information that you have entered previously in the main part of the application will still be there. It's only the parts, if you happen to look into the college specific supplements, that will all be erased because that data gets fully refreshed every year. Um, so it's it's something to just poke around, make sure that anything you entered previously, make sure it still looks accurate, nothing was cut out, anything like that. Um, but it's a pretty pretty simple rollover process. Yeah. And I cheer every year about that because it wasn't always this way. And for those of us who have been doing this for a little while, we remember when it wasn't like that. And so that is kind of a nice piece 
Um, anything about getting started on the coalition, Jay, that, that you wanted to mention? I mean, basically what it entails is you just create an account with SCORE. And if you're on the coalition's application, or, I'm sorry, if you're on the coalition's website, basically they will direct you to SCORE. Uh, I mean, just like the Common App, it's a very easy process. Just start open with a or start with a with an email and create a username and a password, and then you can go and start to fill out the different sections, just as if you would do the the, the Common application. Got it. Okay. And something Beth, actually, I just realized people may be wondering, well, how do I know which these which colleges are accept? Which are the hundred and four that take the yes. college? Which are the thousand? So the it's tricky on the coalition, right, Jay? Because when you log into coalition there is a college search feature um, and it shows like over a thousand colleges, but you have to scroll down a bit and check the box that says they accept the coalition app and it'll filter down for you to show just the 104. Um, and on the common application, I know maybe we're going to get into this a little bit. There is a search feature that shows only com common application accepting schools. Got it. Right. So, you know, I, I mean, for me, what I tend to do is I have my own, as we probably all do, my own Common App account. And I just, when I'm looking for, when is the deadline for this school? I'm searching for it. I'm making sure it's accepting the Common App. And every year, I think I have one disappointing moment when I realize, oh, no, not necessarily that they're accepting the coalition or something like that, but more that they're not on the Common App. And that means a different process for the student at that particular school. Um, so, yeah, and I don't know, Jay, if there's anything about well, uh, adding schools. Yeah, I was going to say the one thing that I think to understand or, remind, or to remember is that score is also, it, it's created not necessarily, not from the beginning of being an application system, but being like a high school system so that you can still with their profile, or I'm sorry, with their search features, you can learn about all the different colleges in, that are out there. And then you can filter, like, if you wanted to use SCORE's application system, then, yes, you can filter just by that. And that's what will bring you down to 104. But if you search a particular school, it will tell you which applications they're going to be accepting. So you know that, okay, it'll be a common, apps, a common application or their own application, or maybe they will accept the, the SCORE application. So, so, so the, the the search feature once you are once you create an account with Score is still is still very good, and, and you can just bring it bring it down to whatever level you want, um, and 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 then also then see which application they will accept. Got it. Okay. And one nice, sorry, sorry. One last. No, it's okay. Go. On the one thing I do really like about Score's college search is that it shows the acceptance rate, like right there. And it showed average mm. SAT and ACT, which maybe this year is less of an issue because so many schools are going test optional. But to see the selectivity rate right there, I think can be really helpful. Just a little bit of that reality check of, should you really be adding that 10th school that has an acceptance rate below 15% or something like that? Like it's right. nice to see that. Or should you have 10 schools that all have an acceptance rate under 10%, right? Any of those. I think I think that's that's key. Elise, you had mentioned something about using the search tool to identify other schools that might be good fits. Is that was that in relation to the Common App or something you have students do? Yeah, the Common App is a really nice search tool um, so that you can search by distance from a particular zip code. So if you know you want to stay close to home or you have family in a certain part of the country, you can find colleges that are nearest to that. Um, for students, let's say, who are looking to not enroll in college in the fall, but maybe wanted to do like a gap 
semester and start in the spring, you can filter just for colleges that will accept the common application in the spring semester. Um, they also have uh, options for filtering schools that don't have an application fee, schools that don't require the essay, schools that don't require standardized testing. So there's a lot of other ways, um, not in terms of majors, not in terms of locale, um, but at least in terms of those those bigger factors, it's sort of a nice way to see what else might be out there. Right, right. So if you are a student who's decided, I'm not going to do testing, or I did testing, and it's not in line with how I'm doing in school, so I'm planning to apply test optional, that's a great opportunity to find some other schools that are also test optional so that you can only consider schools like that. So any, any, I was going to say, I mean, score has a similar, similar features. One thing that I like about theirs and maybe a common app has this too, but when you're actually looking at an individual university or college, it will also on the right say schools, or I'm sorry, kids who looked at this school also looked at these few schools. Mm, So at least can give you maybe if you're looking at school A, they can give you a couple more choices that are going to be similar so it's again a one way for one way for students to sort of expand their view, um, and and again maybe start to explore some other institutions. What I like about all of this is is obviously the goal in getting onto these platforms is to fill out applications and apply to college. But it does sound like both can actually be useful tools. So if you are a rising senior and you really haven't started the process, you don't really know where you're going to apply. These that going to these applications could actually be kind of a good first step in, you know, well, I know I like this school. Well, now maybe you could use that feature of score to identify a couple of others that might feel like that. Or similarly with the common app, okay, well, I know I like this kind of school and do a similar search on that. So um, I'd not really thought about using either of these platforms for that. And that makes me think that that could be a good idea. For um, students who mm-hmm. would be interested in doing that, I would say on the common application, within the application itself, the search is more limited. It includes only those fields I mentioned. But the common app does have something that is similar, I think, to what SCORE has that is outside of the actual application. If, if you, I just did a quick search for common app school search on the Internet, and it brought me to their sort of search page. And, it, and you can search by campus setting and financial aid and is it a minority serving institution. So it, it does have a nice overall college search tool. So yeah, I like that idea too, Beth, of sort of using this as a first step. Yeah, cool. Okay. So let's move on to essay questions. Um, Both uh, the Coalition and the Common App have one main essay that students have to write, um, and their questions are posted, um, and you could see those. Mm -hmm. I don't think we necessarily need to dig into those today. There's some overlap. There are a few differences. That might be a decision maker for you if you feel like, you know, you particularly like a prompt that's on the coalition versus nothing really speaks to you on the Common App. That might be a decision if all of your schools are accepting the coalition. uh, my feeling is topic of your choice is always an option. So you could like that right. question on the coalition and still probably use it for the common app. But for the sake of argument, you you know, that might be one reason why you would cho- choose. But let's talk about supplemental questions, because we've talked about how it's a one generic application that you can send to multiple schools. But many schools, certainly not all, but many schools have additional questions that are not generic, that are specific to those schools that they want you to respond to. Um, And would love to hear any tips on 
finding those on each of these platforms? And maybe, um, maybe Jay, we'll start with the coalition this time around and then go to the Common App with you, Elise. Sure. I mean, so basically, it's a very easy process. I mean, it's to be honest, I think it's very similar to um, the, uh, the common applications process, where once you have started an application, you can then start to create, um, well, I'm sorry, you, you first of all can add colleges to your list. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can, you can search within that sc- college, it's going to list if there are additional re- requirements that you have to fulfill whether it's um, the supplemental essays or adding or asking additional questions. Um, it's going to be very pretty blatant. I mean, it'll be, it'll be very visible to, to understand. And the other thing too, is that you can't of course submit the application until you complete these questions as well. Um, but it's going to show up right in um, the application pages. Once you've added that school to your list. Okay, great. Elise, what about on the common app? The com- I don't I don't know what you're seeing, Jay, because I'm not seeing it as easily as you're seeing it. I don't know if it was easier last year, but this year with SCORE, like I, I maybe I'm just so used to the common application, but I find that they have um, the tabs that they have to sort of organize your school list. It's just it's a little bit easier to access the individual supplements. Like right now, I can't even get into the supplements I'm trying to look at on the coalition. It says they're not accepting it. Um, so I. I so maybe I just didn't search for enough colleges that have like open applications. Um, but on the, but you can read that. So me. I mean, so, so basically, well, I mean, when you're in the actual schools site, there's the, well, there's, there's a section called docs and underneath there's going to be some things that pop down. One of which is going to be the essays where if you continue through that, it will bring up some of the other questions that you will have to do. Okay. Okay. Um, so. I guess on the common app, though, it seems like it's like if you know you're applying, for example, to Syracuse University, you click on the name Syracuse University and it'll show you here are the questions that Syracuse asks. Um, you click through those. Oftentimes the essay will be right there and maybe it'll be marked on a tab that says writing or additional essay. Um, sometimes the, the essays show up as like a like a supplement part two. Again, don't want to get into the nitty gritty, but sometimes colleges sort of separate their regular questions from their essays. Um, and it just sometimes takes a little bit of clicking around to find them. I will say that for students who are starting to explore and look for their supplements, um, you sometimes you do have to go through the initial questions first to find for the writing supplement to pop up. Like sometimes you have to say, I'm applying for fall of 2023. I'm applying as an English major. And then it'll say, oh, because you're applying for the the English major, here is your question. Um, So sometimes you have to do that first, but other times they just Mm -hmm. sort of appear once you get right into the supplement. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed that that's the one wrinkle that I don't love about the way some schools do it on the Common App, which is you think you don't have anything else to do, and then you actually go back because you haven't selected your in school at the college you're applying to, or you haven't selected your major, and then you go back and you select it, and up pops another essay that you have to write. So filling out, you know, my advice on the Common App for sure is fill out as much of that as possible before you get to the writing section, because if you don't, you might not see everything that you're required to write. Um, so let's talk about um, when you get yourself into, I don't know, you get yourself into trouble. You have issues, technical issues. Um, where do you go, uh, Elise, where would you suggest people go for the Common App to, to get help? 
The Common App has uh, a help desk that you can access from the application itself. Um, they have people working nonstop. I mean, I'm sure they take shifts, but <laughs> no matter your time zone, no matter your country, um, I've I've tried emailing them at 11 o'clock at night and they get back usually within an hour or two. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Um, so that you submit a ticket, you provide them with as much detail as you can, and then you'll get an email confirming that you've submitted and then you can start having a dialogue with them. And they also have a chat feature. That is not always live. That is a more specific feature. Um, but at least over email, it's you can get a lot of answers um, through their technical support that way. Got it. I have to say, this is probably a place where competition, Jay, as you mentioned earlier, is really important because I don't recall that this was such a great thing for the Common App back in the day, right? And they really have improved that element of the application tremendously, um, kind of since the coalition came on. Um, Jay, what about the coalition? How do you, I mean, where do you score, go for help? I mean, SCORE has the similar type of thing. There'll be different places where you can click like contact and, and do, as, as Elise said, sort of put a ticket in like with whatever the question is going to be um, and, and be able to get your answer, get your question answered as soon as possible, uh, especially around the deadlines. They're going to make sure that they've got a lot of people on hand to, to help yeah. out with any type of technical issues. So. Got it. Okay. Um, any final thoughts as we, we still have a few more minutes and I don't know that we've covered everything we wanted to share about these platforms. Um, Elise, anything on the Common App that you would love to highlight for students as they are sitting down and getting ready to get started? Um, well, as I was exploring the coalition today, I noticed one, I mean, there's a few small differences. It's hard, like we didn't sort of do a side-by-side -side comparison of this, although I would love to do that, Jay, to sort of mm -hmm. figure out like, exactly what are the, the minute details and differences. Um, just one thing that I thought was interesting though, on the common application, there's room to list 10 activities that you've up to 10. You don't have to fill out all 10, but you've room for up to 10 activities that you've been involved with during high school. The coalition app on SCORE only lets you list up to eight. So mm -hmm. thinking back to that question of who should use which application platform for students maybe who have a lot of activities, a very full resume, they may prefer the Common App for that reason. Um, but both application platforms have sort of this additional information section where you can plug in a little extra details here or there. The Common App is larger, so there's more room there technically than the Coalition. Um, but I imagine that no matter which application platform you use, you would still be able to get out whatever relevant information you have. You will be able to present it, and colleges, you know, will be able to under, you know, see the full breadth of your experience. right. An edited version of yourself is a good version of yourself. Yes, <laughs> Jay. What about you? Any final thoughts on the Coalition? So I mean, I think it's sort of in this state of flux where you know, it'll be interesting to see how the transition goes with score. I think there's going to going moving forward, that's going to be really helpful where if there are schools that are using score, which I know is becoming more popular, getting more kids into the pipeline, getting them filling out this information sooner, that it could become a very easier application process for them because it, in, instead of saying, oh, let's go and do the common app, we're like, wait, all, the, all my information is in score. I can now quickly apply to these different schools. Got so it. we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's probably my biggest takeaway, right? It's a it's a wait and see, and some people may very well want to um, go forward with the coalition this year. 
um, which is great. And we'll see what happens with that. And, and for others, taking a little bit more of a wait and see attitude. And I guess we'll just plan and promise to regroup at this time next year and and see where we're at. And Elise, you mentioned putting them side by side. I smell a blog. I think that would be a great blog yeah. <laughs> of the the differences between the two and, and maybe things for students to think about. So um, I, I really appreciate both of you joining today. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Beth. you. It was great. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks to all of my guests today. Next week, Sally is hosting. Um, we're going to be talking about best practices for making a strong start freshman year of college. And I will be listening because as you all know, I am, <laughs> I will have a college freshman this year. And in fact, I, uh, next week will be dropping my son off, which is one of the reasons why I will not be here to host the show. Um, we're also going to be doing a listener Q&A. Send your questions in, please. We have many different ways for you to get, send them to us. You can um, message your question on Facebook or you could post it directly on Facebook. You could um, post your question on our Instagram. You could post one on LinkedIn. You could tweet at us. You could direct message us on Twitter. Um, you could also just email it. Plain old email, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, we would also love it if you would go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for people to find us and get our help. And then finally, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.